a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. What I want to do today, please, I want to talk about something I guess is very much in my heart. I want to talk about the local church. I want to talk about the Bride of Christ. But I want to look at one specific angle of that. And I think, you know, I've often read out a scripture that comes from uh, Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels. It talks about the local church being the hope of the nations and the potential of the local church. And as you look around the room and see what Christ is coming back for, you are his bride. What do you see as you look around the room? Well, you're not standing where I'm standing, quite obviously. Um, We look at each other, don't we? We say, well, we're not the finished article. We know we're not the finished article. We've got a long way to go. But we're made in the image of Christ, and that's the most important thing. So when when God looks at his bride, when he comes back for his bride, he's going to find a beautiful church, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to help build a beautiful church for his return. So I want to talk about encouragement today. And I think encouragement is one of the foundational building blocks of any church, and probably in life itself, to be quite honest. But I want to look specifically at the angle of the church. And I want to look at three P's. So if you happen to be taking notes, and I haven't got the little things on the system yet, so I'll have to do that when I go home this afternoon. So if you're leading something at Life Group this week and you want to know the life application questions, as we now call them, they will be hopefully on your screen for Monday morning. So I'm looking at three P's. First of all, the principle of encouragement, e.g. why do we do it? Secondly, the person of encouragement. So who do we look at in scripture and find would be a good person to benchmark against encouragement? And thirdly, the practical application of encouragement. So, how do we do it? And there will be some participation required from the audience. Thank you. So, I'm going to start reading from Hebrews 10:24. Okay. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not giving up meeting. Let, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Can I just pray before we start, please? Lord, I just ask, Father, by your Spirit, you would uh, unlock our hearts to hear this word today, Lord. Father, you know how feebly I put this together, Lord. I don't feel particularly able to stand up here and unlock all these scriptures, Lord, but I do ask that your Holy Spirit will change people's lives as a result of what we've done today, Lord God. Father, we want to be part of a church, Lord God, that's so encouraging, Lord God, to those that are around it, Lord, that when people walk in, they'll see the very Spirit of God in the midst. Lord, I pray that if you almost cut this church in half, Lord God, one of the things that runs through the veins will be that sense of encouragement of one of another. I just give that to you now, Lord God. Amen. Okay, so let's first of all look at the principle of encouragement. So where does the word encouragement come from? First of all, the Greek word of encouragement means certain things. To call to one side, to comfort, to console, to strengthen. Basically, encouragement need means to put courage back in where we've lost it. Encouragement is in the present tense. It should be like a habit, like putting out the milk bottles would be a good one. That's a good habit to get into, putting out milk bottles, things like that. And it should become a way of life. Now, why did I mention the word milk bottles? Because I was given a little task at Life Group this week. I had to mention the word milk bottle, so I've done it, I can now calm down, end of story. So that's a habit, not a particularly good one, because not many people have milk bottles anymore, but there we go. Right, moving on rapidly. (laughs) Hebrews 3 at 13, let me just read this to you. Matt and Jill, I hope you recognise I've got the word milk bottles in there, I hope you're very proud of me now. 
At 3.13, it says here, um, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Okay. So that means we don't wait for others to encourage us necessarily. Uh, We must take the initiative on this. Uh, We must encourage others, even if people don't necessarily find it easy to encourage us. It's not just for leaders, it's every single person here today. So what was the downside of the previous verse in Hebrews? It says here, well if we do not praise and thanks, it says in verse 13, we may become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sounds quite strict, doesn't it? When a person is discouraged, when we fail to encourage, sin can deceive and harden the heart to such an extent that it becomes sinful and unbelieving, leading to a person slowly turning his or her back on God. Someone once wrote, people live by encouragement, without it they die slowly, sadly and bitterly. So coming back to verse 24, it says, let us consider, it means to observe attentively, fix one another's eyes or minds upon. In short, we have to focus on encouraging one another. It's never an accidental act, but always intentional. In the message, it says here, let us see how inventive we can be. Let us be creative in encouraging one another. Okay, so at this particular stage, we have two teams in the room, okay? Team A and Team B. So, from Team A, no, Team A comes first, thank you. So, Team A, I want you to think of a way we encourage one another, please. Just one, anybody can shout it out. I'm afraid I haven't got any prizes, so you can have a cup of coffee afterwards. So, how do we encourage people? Give us a basic encouragement. What's the technique? Words, thank you. Words? Something from over here. Actions. Okay, would you like to elaborate on actions? What sort of actions are you talking about, sir? Yes, good man. Jumping up and down when Manchester United score is a good one. Thank you very much for that. I jumped up and down four times yesterday. I'm very happy about that. Okay, something else from Team A. How else do we encourage people? Sorry? We send cards. Thank you, Val. Why do we send cards? To send thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Something here from Team B? Come on, Team B. You can give it. Praise. Superb. What a great word. Praise. We praise people because we've seen them do something right. Yeah? Huh? Sorry, I don't want to do... Okay, team A again? We lead by example. We lead by example. Superb. <laughs> team B, yes. Give them a hug. Fantastic. Right, we're on the right lines. Exactly right. Superb. I can't go backwards and forwards anymore. Okay. Verse 24 continues. Let us consider... Sorry, let us continue to spur one another on. To spur means to provoke, to stimulate, to incite someone to do something. In other words, to create a thirst. To create a thirst for what? Towards love and good deeds. Verse 25 goes on to say, Let us not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. So what's this day approaching then? Well, I think that's the day when the Lord returns to his beautiful church, his bride that we talked about earlier. And there's a sense of urgency, I think, in this verse about we must do it now, we must spur one another into loving good deeds. We must, you know, prepare the church ready for Christ's return. We usually use this verse to remind people to be faithful in attending church services. However, note the word but here. It gives a strong contrast between let us not giving up meeting together and let us encourage one another. This means that even if we attended services, if we fail to encourage one another, we have not obeyed this verse to its full extent. 
Encouragement is the purpose of our meeting together, whether on it's a Sunday or whether it's in midweek groups. And it's a long time since we've renamed the midweek groups, don't you think? A long time. So maybe we should change it to encouragement groups in midweek. Because that's what we're there to do. So we've had life groups for a couple of weeks now. Let's move on to encouragement groups. That's what they're there to do. Now, William Barclay once wrote this. It's easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such words. Now, I just want to read you a story, if I could. And I think this sort of brings home a little bit of what we're trying to get across here today. Uh, One day, when I was at secondary school, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books, and I thought to myself, why would anybody bring all these books home on a Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had had a quite weekend planned, parties and football games. Uh, game with my friends tomorrow afternoon so I shrugged my shoulders and went on as I was walking I saw a bunch of kids running towards him they ran at him knocking all the books out of his arms and tripping him so he landed in the dirt his glasses went flying and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet away from him he looked up and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes my heart went out to him so I jogged over to him and he crawled around looking for his glasses and I saw a tear in his eye as I handed him his glasses I said don't worry about those guys, they're jerks. They should really get, get their own lives together. He looked back at me and said, thanks very much for that. There was a great big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and I asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived quite near me. So I asked him why I'd never seen him before. He said he'd gone to a private school before now. I would have never hung out with a private school kids before. He talked all the way home and I carried his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with my friends and I. He said, yeah. We hung around all weekend and the more I got to know Carl, the more I liked him. My friends thought the same of him. Monday morning came and there was Carl with a huge stack of books again. I stopped him and said, Carl, you're really going to build some big muscles carrying all those books home every day. He just laughed and handed me half the books. Over the next four years, Carl and I became best friends. When we were in senior school, we began to think about university. I knew that we would always be good friends, but that the miles apart would never be a problem when we went to uni. He was going to be a doctor and I was going uh, for business on a football scholarship. He had to prepare a speech for graduation at the end of uni and I was, I was so glad it wasn't me having to get up there and speak. Graduation day came and I saw Carl, he looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself during school. He filled out and actually looked good in glasses. He had more dates than me and all the girls loved him. Boy, sometimes I was jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see that he was nervous about his speech, so I smacked him on the back and said, Hey, big guy, you'll be great. Don't worry about it. He looked at me with one of those looks, the really grateful one, and smiled, thanks. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you that all... All that, that I'm here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you, can give, you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met. He had planned to kill himself over the weekends. He talked of how he cleared out his locker so that his mum wouldn't have to do it later and he was carrying all his stuff home. He looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully I was saved. 
My friend saved me from doing something unspeakable. I heard the gasp go through the crowd as this handsome popular boy told all about his weakest moments. I saw his mum and dad looking at me and smiling that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realise its depth. And it goes on to finish here. Never underestimate the power of your actions. With one small gesture you can change a person's life for better or for worse. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. Look for God in others. Okay, so that's the principle behind encouragement. And I want to look at the person of encouragement. Okay, and to, to do that, I want to go back into Acts 4, 34 to 37, which will be very familiar to you. Um, Acts 4, 34 to 37. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, as it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is the first part of scripture we get introduced to Barnabas. Joseph, as he was first known, but now renamed by the apostles, the son of encouragement. Acts singles out Barnabas as the one who sold his fields. Either his donation, I guess, was so large that it took the apostles' gasp away, I suppose, or maybe he was just in the forerunner of, of that sacrificial type of sale. The apostles therefore named him son of encouragement, or one who encourages others. I wonder if you and I had a nickname, what it might be. If you had an epitaph written about you, what it might say. What might our legacy be? As we leave this earth, what might someone put on our tombstone? Here's some things that I wouldn't want written on my tombstone. This one comes from Boot Hill Cemetery in Arizona. Here lies Butch. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. On Margaret Daniels' grave in Hollywood Cemetery, Richmond. She always said her feet were killing her, but no one ever believed her. How about this one from Harry Edsel in New York? He looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on its way down. It was. <laughs> and in Maryland, here lies an atheist all dressed up and no place to go. Very apt. But I wonder what might be written on your and mine. Son of encouragement. In Acts 11.24, Barnabas is described, wonderful description, a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Wouldn't that be great to have that on your gravestone? Here lies whoever, a man or woman, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What a wonderful testimony to a life lived for God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have people to reflect on your life and mind the way the early church did about Barnabas? What, it, what does it mean though to be spirit-filled in this particular instance? In short, it means to reflect what God is like. People look at a Holy Spirit-filled person to see or sense the presence of God or the attitude and character of the Holy Spirit. Their own personality and preferences have been pushed down in favour of allowing God's character to shine through. Probably a more visual example of this might be found in Matthew 7.16 where Jesus says that you can tell a type of tree by looking at the fruit that hangs on its branches. Good trees don't produce bad fruits and bad trees cannot produce good fruits. 
What is this fruit that's described here? In Galatians 5.22, it gives a clear description of the type of fruit we should be portraying as we walk this earth. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's the good fruit of the tree that we should be showing. Spirit-filled is fundamentally about character. When people thought about Barnabas, it was the character or behaviour of the Holy Spirit that often came to mind. Encouragement is a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. We know, I'm sure, if we've read through Acts any amount of times, we'll know the story about Barnabas and Saul, as he became later to be known as Paul. And it was Barnabas that believed in Saul. If you remember in the early days, Saul was persecuting the Christians. He was actively hunting them down, basically. Um, And it was Barnabas that saw through that. And he saw the evidence of the grace of God in Paul's life. And he saw the potential. To be a Barnabas is to have the eyes of perception to see in others what we cannot see, particularly when it comes to potential. What might have happened if Barnabas had not sponsored Paul? Later Barnabas went on to Antioch in Acts 11.23 we hear, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And later on it says, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. True to his nickname, the encourager encouraged them. Here we also find that to encourage people is to ask them to remain faithful to the Lord. There are many other exploits found in Acts that involve Barnabas, from stepping down from prominence as team leader, it always used to be written Barnabas and Paul, and then it became Paul and Barnabas as Barnabas took the lesser role. Um, And then we find him supporting his cousin John Mark, even though he'd let Paul down in previous verses. It seems that encouragers also ensure people are given second chances, even when in human terms it may be very costly. They go out on a limb for others, often defending and mentoring people who others have cast aside. We owe a lot to Barnabas. We owe Paul to him. Paul went on to write 13 epistles and 14 if indeed he wrote Hebrews. We also owe Mark to him. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Thus, we almost owe half of the New Testament to Barnabas, even though he did not write a single letter. We need more encouragers like Barnabas. Now, I just want to look at some practical points here. Six practical points to become a Barnabite, if there is such a word as that. If there isn't, I have just invented it. Point number one, allow people to grow. So if you're sitting here today and you have anything to do with leadership in the workplace, in the home, if you look after children, uh, allow people to grow. God is at work, expect growth. We need to build up occasionally in times we need to admonish people. So, how many people in the workplace have ever heard of the praise sandwich? One, two, three, okay. So, um, just to explain what the praise sandwich is, I guess I use it quite a bit at work. So when I go to assess or appraise a manager at work, you have to dress it up like they're doing really well. So, but also you have to deliver something which is fairly punchy in the middle. So if someone's not done exactly what you expect them to do, you start off by saying, what a wonderful job you're doing here. However, and you deliver the, the not so nice bit in the middle, and then before you've left the room, you continue to say, I think you're going to make a great manager in the future, thank you very much, and you close the door. So you've actually delivered a praise sandwich. Good part to start with, 
dodgy bit in the middle you've got to get across for their own, um, I guess, their own growth, and then at the end of it, we put the nice bit in. So when we've left the room, the last bit they remember is the praise bit. Okay, so we need to praise. Sometimes we have to bring a bit of admonishment in the church or in the workplace or in the home. So, but also always end on the praise part of it. Point number two, affirm the capability you see in people. Believing what people can become with God's grace is a very Barnabas type thing to do. Disciplining your children is a classic example. And um, we were talking about this last night and Juliet used to have a classic comment she used to use. So when, when your kids have let you down, and we used to use the wooden spoon on our kids, um, uh, Julie used to say, I love you too much to let you get away with this. So, you know, you, you love the kids, they've done something wrong, so you discipline them for that one act, but at the end of it, you put them on your lap and you give them a big hug. And it's quite right, I love you too much to let you get away with whatever they've done wrong. Funny Julie was always saying that, I don't know why that was. Okay, number three, point people to the opportunity side of a problem. Whatever the devil means for our harm, God can turn around for our good. Do you believe that? Yeah? A person with a Barnabas type disposition sees problems as opportunities, not as disasters. Okay, it's already been mentioned, Chrissy and Frog Club. Now Chrissy, as, as Matt very well pointed out earlier, has run the Frog Club from, I think you said the year dot, I think that's probably, Chrissy's not quite that old, but I hear where you come from. Okay, but ever since I've known this church, Chrissy has always run the Frog Club. Now, run it faithfully, week after week, even when no one else turned up to support her in that work, Chrissy could always be fine running that Frog Club. She's done a fantastic job. But, what I'm trying to get across here, there's an opportunity side of the problem Chrissy had. She could have said, well, there's no one here to support me, I throw in the towel, I'm going home. But no, Chrissy's seen the positive side of this and she's persevered through it. And I want to honour you in front of the church, Chrissy, for the job you've done there. It's been fantastic. Okay, number four, speak prophetically to each other. On at least two occasions in his letter to the Corinthians, um, Paul clarified the primary purpose of prophecy as being for encouragement. The first one we find in Corinthians 14 verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And the second one in Corinthians 14 verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. There are a particular number of occasions in my life where people have shared a particular word, prophecy, that has made a dramatic difference in my life. Now, I never go out of the house without a letter that someone wrote to me in the church about where they saw me um, and what they, what they felt God was expecting me to do. And I often, before I come out to church, read that letter to inspire me. So let me just talk about prophecy for a little bit. Prophecy, what do we do with it? We must, as scripture says, weigh it and check it out. Okay. So what do we check it out again? Number one, does it bring glory to God? If it does, okay. Does it edify and build up the body of Christ? Okay, important that it must do that. Is it obviously in line with scripture? Important that it does that. Does it come with a heart of God? Okay, so does it come to build up or does it come to condemn? And I would suggest if it comes to condemn, then it is not a prophecy from God. So check it out, wear it out, and if you're not sure, go and see your life group leader or one of us. Okay, but always check it and weigh it up. If someone gives you a prophecy over your life, make sure you check it out and weigh it up. Okay. Okay, number five, tell stories about what God is doing in your life. Paul, Paul wrote of his imprisonment in Philippians 1 verse 14. Because of my chains, most of my brothers have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So even in prison, Paul was saying things about encouragement. 
What a man. Point six. Be committed to Christian community. Encouragement comes when we gather together with fellow believers. Discouragement sets in when we don't. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One of the things that I would encourage life group leaders to do, what we're going to be doing in our life group in a few weeks' time, is having a giftings evening. Okay? And again, if ever I want to encourage myself, I go back to previous gifting evenings we've had in a life group or cell group or house group setting, as they were in the old days, and I dig out this envelope and I look through it, because the intention of those evenings is you get a piece of paper for everybody in the room, and you pass it around the room, and every person in the room writes down something they see about that person. And it may be a physical character of the person, it might be something that God's doing in their lives for the future, but I'll tell you, by the time you've written that down and you pass it around, it comes back to you and you've got seven or eight different comments about what people see in your lives. If you're not totally inspired by that, then I don't know what's wrong, because it's the most uplifting thing I think we've ever done. So, life group leaders, I would encourage you to have a giftings evening, just passing a piece of paper around and seeing what God is doing in other people's lives. It's so uplifting. In this Christian community, don't ask what it, what's in it for me, but rather what am I able to give? It's no longer about me and Jesus, but we and Jesus. So let me just come back to the end of that story I read. Never underestimate the power of your actions With one small gesture of encouragement, you can change a person's life, for better or for worse. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. Would you like to stand? Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.